Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in today for another episode. Today I have Jake Steiner on, and I'm super pumped about this because Jake Steiner has devoted quite a bit of time in understanding the process behind myopia, this common ailment that affects people's eyes. And it turns out it's not its own, I guess, disease state, as if it's its own entity that takes over. It's more of a snapshot in time. And our eye health is always in flux based on um, recent environmental exposures and habits. And Jake has kind of discovered a path to better eye health by one, being aware of what drives this process and then how to create lifestyle habits so that you like don't run into that trap and you could keep your eyes healthy for a long time. I myself have been on a little bit of a dive over the last year or so trying to improve my eyesight and I'm really impressed about the progress I've been able to make with just lifestyle habits and maybe a little exercises here and there but mostly just changing my habits and to me that's really exciting because I think many people out there feel that we can't really interact with our eye health and it just kind of is what it is and we're subject to like genetics or things like that but it doesn't seem to be the case and Jake has now helped many people discover this um, on their own so I'm really excited to have him on here maybe learn more maybe learn some new tips so again I appreciate you tuning in and I hope you can find some value out of this conversation and uh, that's it let's listen here we go Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today. Really grateful for the listening of the audience. And I'm really excited today. I've been taking, um, I guess, a journey myself with eyesight over the last year and seeing how much I could improve my eyesight. 
And fortunately, Jake Steiner has reached out to us to try to share some of his knowledge because he's been on quite the journey reversing his myopia um, without the use of glasses. And I guess he's let go of glasses along the way. And I'm really intrigued to hear about that journey and how he got there. Jake, please say hello to the Mindful Movement audience. Hello, everybody. And thanks, Les, for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for reaching out. I was excited to see your email. Um, you know, big thing here is just kind of empowering people to play a bigger role in their sense of well-being. And, you know, our, when I say sense of well-being, I mean, eyesight is a sense. It's a pretty important sense that we rely on. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that we can play a role in how, you know, how our eyes perform. So it'd be nice to lay a foundation, like some context of how the eyes work and what are the common things that go wrong. And then, you know, how you, you know, what's the process of maybe improving it. But first of all, maybe you could share the audience a little bit of how you even got here in the first place. Sure. And uh, remind me later, movement and eyesight. There's some really interesting stuff. Sure, also. will do. So I started out with, um, well, I ended up with minus five diopter myopia. Myopia, for those who are not familiar, short-sightedness. You can't see clearly at a distance. So you need to wear glasses. If you take your glasses off, further away things become blurry. Um, myopia, short-sightedness, nearsightedness. I started with it when I was a young teenager. Um, I'm in my 40s now. And then in my early 20s, I was up at minus four point something. For reference, that's enough to where you take your glasses off, you put them somewhere, you're never going to find them again <laughs> because your vision is just too bad for that. Like it was, it was pretty bad eyesight. And um, at one point I went to the optometrist because my vision was just deteriorating again. And they said I needed minus five thick glasses, right? Like I, I was wearing these rimless glasses that were pretty thick. The thicker your glasses get, the smaller your eyes look. So I was single from a vanity perspective. <laughs> just, I mean, you put those things on and you have these little tiny eyes behind them. And um, I asked a question like, why, why do I need stronger glasses? And they said, it's genetic. And um, I'm no geneticist, but that sounded to me like it's somewhat unlikely. And my profession as investor and trader, I, I look at a lot of documentation and facts and question a lot of things. And that just sounded weird. And it was kind of before Google. So I went to a lot of libraries, did a lot of research, and I found the cause of myopia, the cause of nearsightedness is heavily discussed and well understood in clinical science and is completely different from what retail optometry tells you when they sell you glasses. Why do you so think that there, is? Is that just because it's, they're in the business of selling glasses? It's a hundred billion dollar a year industry. Oh, wow. Billion dollars. Okay. Yeah, it is a massive amount of money they make. And it's like a subscription. If you walk in there one time and you buy glasses, you're pretty much guaranteed to be a customer for life. Extremely profitable. And the way they're taught in school, um, and there's even, there are really interesting discussions in clinical science journals talking about how optometrists are not trained in how to prevent myopia progression, right? They're just trained in give you the the glasses you need to see super clearly. And that's what a lot of people want. A lot of people are happy with just a quick right. fix symptom treatment, treatment, no personal responsibility. So it's kind of a supply and demand matching 
but it's not evil intent it's uh this is just the framework in which they come through that their own journey they're taught that this is how you treat this absolutely Uh, just like with so many other things like glasses are not unique in that way that an industry has been built around treating a symptom and the people that do that are doing the best they can with the tools they're given makes sense that's nice. Years ago, I used to say different things about them, but I've <laughs> You're grown up now. You yeah, could have I'm a little more to. compassionate towards the people selling glasses. Yes, yes, yes. I remember I got I had glasses for a minute and um, I never really wore them. But I remember being in the optometrist's office and she had told me that she used to wear glasses. And now she doesn't. And I was surprised to hear that. And that was like the first spark I heard. I was thinking like, huh, so these change because I remember growing up thinking like I saw the people in my life wear glasses and every couple years it seemed like their prescription got stronger and stronger and it made my instinct was well the glasses are just kind of compensating it's like a crutch so you know if you don't use it you lose it I looked at is that any other system in the body like a muscular system where if you didn't exercise it of course it's going to get weaker yeah, and actually, I can give you the very, very short version of the biology of what happens. It's really interesting, actually, because your eyesight getting quote-unquote worse is actually a perfectly healthy eye. It's, it's fascinating. Like, when I first started researching this, I couldn't believe... By the way, for I'm going to mention some terms that if anybody wants to go to scholar.google.com, my favorite website for clinical research, you only get research study results. Right? So if you go to scholar.google.com, really handy too for fact finding and just background of, is it a unicorn farm or is there some, some real basis <laughs> to this? All right. Um, so the first thing is there is a muscle in the eye. It's a circular muscle that surrounds the lens in the eye. And the lens is like a camera lens. It's a flexible lens and it shapes itself depending on what distance you look at, right? So if you look at something closer the lens shapes it increases its curvature to move the light in the eye to focus on close-up objects so it's a really interesting system and a circular muscle around it called the ciliary controls that lens the muscles relaxed when you look at a distance beyond six feet and the closer you look at stuff the tighter that muscle gets And what happens initially with most, most, most people that start to have myopia symptoms is it's a muscle spasm because they've been spending a lot of time looking at books or looking at screens and the muscles just tight, right? And if you spend four hours watching Netflix on your iPad, that muscle doesn't immediately relax, right? Mm. So now you look at a distance and you're locked into close-up vision. The eye is actually not weak at that point or there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the muscle set to close-up and it doesn't relax because it's been stuck there for so long. And if you do that every day, every day, every day for enough hours, that muscle spasm becomes kind of persistent. Pseudomyopia, if you go to Google Scholar and you type in pseudomyopia, this premise is discussed in tens of thousands of studies or referenced in studies. So very commonly known. So when you go to the optometrist and you ask them what happened there and they say it's genetic, it's actually not, it's a muscle spasm and the journals that discuss this are optometry and ophthalmology journals. So this is a really interesting, the dichotomy between what you're told and what 
very easily can be found in scientific journals is quite wide, right? Mm. One side tells you it's genetic, too bad, nothing you can do. Whereas the reality is you start with a muscle spasm. Yeah, I found that similar concept of that disconnect on a lot of other health-related issues as you dig into your own research and be your own advocate. I was kind of forced down that route through like my own healing journey. And I discovered that like, there's a lot of stuff out there that we're not told. Um, it's just a common theme, I guess. So, so when you go into a, an optometrist, like there's a temporary compensation that you've been essentially adjusting to. So you're seeing this like snapshot in time when they test your eyes on some level that this is not necessarily who you are, your genetic thing. This is just like a response to what you've been doing lately, whether it's weeks, months, years, decades that they're trying to account for with some Absolutely. external apparatus. Absolutely. And not only that, it's also lighting and circumstance and time of the day and diet. If you, you can measure your eyesight yourself, it's really simple actually, because myopia and diopters is just a distance to blur. The only thing that happens in an optometrist office when they measure myopia is how far can you see it before things get blurry? And diopters is actually just inverse meters. So 100 divided by the distance where blur starts equals the diopters of your glasses. So okay. it's, yeah, I'd say all these things quickly and I'm not- So wait, manage. can you repeat that sentence? So you take the, the distance to blur divided by- 100 divided by the 100 distance. divided by the distance to blur okay. equals adopters of your glasses so when so, you said you had a diopter of five that means at 20 is it uh feet 20. meters it's 20 centimeters. centimeters centimeters at 20 centimeters yeah. things got blurry things get blurry yeah 20 the centimeters that's like bit. a really short distance for things to get blurry yeah absolutely okay but Interesting to note though, so diopters are very simple converse, conversion, right, from a distance. And also you can, you can get a measuring tape and a book and just sit in the same room with the same lighting and do this measurement in the morning after you have a pizza and Coke, insulin spikes, bad for your eyesight, after you binge four hours on Netflix and write down how far you can see till things start to get blurry. And those numbers are gonna be all different. Mm. going back to your snapshot in time. Right. And I recommend people do this because going from the theory of, huh, interesting to if you take that action and you actually see how much your eyesight varies, it's a lot easier to go, maybe I should do something about this. Because for example, in a room like I'm in that's artificially lit compared to shaded natural outdoor lighting, your centimeter is a lot different. Like you, you can see a lot less far in artificial light than you can see in natural daylight in most cases. And just making that comparison, look at the book inside and take it outside and go, huh, right? Like I have completely different vision depending on the light. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think we could, many of us could probably relate to the idea of like you, you stare at your phone for, and you get, you know, carried off in some rabbit hole on, Facebook or whatever. And, you know, you meant to look at something for a minute and then a half hour later, you're like, shit, I'm still on my phone. And then you put it down and, you know, instantly your eyesight is worse. It's, it's noticeably worse. And 
you know, might not, but then like the next day or later that day, if you stay off the screen, it can reset to some degree. Like it's always in, in flux. We're always in some level, like, um, I guess in response to environment, you know, yeah. whatever our body is creating is always in response to our environment. So if we put artificial lights or screen, I mean, that is, you know, maybe a million years from now, that'll be natural, but right now it's pretty artificial. We haven't really adapted to that, you know, and you're going to have a response to that, just like any other environmental change, there'll be some response to it. I notice you mentioned, you know, being outside, it's different on, um, I guess early in like the pandemic, I created a, a new hobby of like walk, walking through the woods. I started like foraging for mushrooms and just kind of getting out and clearing my head. And I would go through these uh, exercises where I would like look at the, you know, the farthest tree in the forest. Like I would just look between two trees to the tree in the middle and then between those two trees in the distance and just kept looking farther and farther and farther as like a daily practice. And, you know, I'd spend, I don't know, a minute, maybe three minutes tops on this. And it didn't take long for me to create change. Like my eyesight is getting better just from looking at trees. And I started playing around like one eye at a time, covering one eye, really covering like a bigger range of motion where I'd hold my head in one place and look off in the distance and like the corners. I try to follow a tree from the bottom to the top without moving my head and just kind of I guess exercising my eyes in a more natural environment, and it it made a difference. It's a it's a and concept it didn't take that long. we yeah it's a concept we call active focus, and I, I don't like making up new words, but there wasn't an available term for the idea of you can passively consume your environment visually, and you can do it actively, right? Like, and you can say, okay, what is the tree? Can I see the tree? Can I see the tree behind it? At what point? Are these things just kind of merging together? And that challenging of your eyesight is literally what improves your eyesight. I mean, we could just stop right here. Basically, the short version of the story is if you want better eyesight, do exactly what Les did. Or just exercise it, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's just challenging your eyes at a distance. And I always say do it with text because text uses something in your brain called recall, right? We don't actually read the letters and the words. We just remember the image of the word. So it's a lot easier to go, can I read this? Can I see this? And your brain really participates in that effort very well. So if you're in a city, especially like license plates and, and street signs and advertisements, like challenging yourself to see those and read those works extremely well for that same, same idea of actively focusing on your environment. So how long did it take you when you discovered this to go from what I guess you would consider pretty um, poor eyesight or a, a, I guess a moderate to severe case of myopia. Would that be an accurate description or like yeah. how long did it take you to go from discovering that you have some say in this to significant progress? Took forever. <laughs> <laughs> wherever because so the problem was this like first i asked a question of what's going on right and then i found out that people that are treating me are not telling me the truth as far as science is concerned and then 
so there's a second half to this, right? Like the first half is ciliary spasm, the muscle spasms, you can't see clearly at a distance. The second challenge or the second part of the equation is once you start wearing glasses that compensate for this, right? They compensate for the muscle spasm. The muscle spasm is causing the light to focus in front of your retina when you look at a distance, the back of your eye. And uh, the minus glasses, the glasses you wear for correcting myopia, just move the light further back in your eye. So basically they just, they compensate for the spasm. But in doing so, they create something called hyperopic defocus, also worth looking up on Google Scholar. That's basically a signal that tells the eye that it's too short, right? Because the eyeball, the eyeball is a liquid filled sack basically. So it's never perfect. And because of that, as a built-in mechanism to continually adjust its proportion, its length, basically. So the eyes always, till the day you die, adjusts in length. Also, lots of studies, axial elongation or axial change of the eye, if you look that up in Google Scholar, been well observed. And with minus lenses, what happens is the light gets pushes against the back of the retina, a little bit past the retina even, especially when you use distance glasses during close-up. And the eyeball goes, whoops, I'm too short, apparently. And it elongates. And an elongated eyeball means the light is now focused even further in front of the retina. So eventually you need stronger glasses. And that process is called lens-induced myopia. Also worth looking up on Google Scholar just to see tens of thousands of search results that all quote clinical science. So well-known and well-explored that the glasses that correct your myopia cause the eyeball to grow longer and cause that myopia to progress. So the way I ended up with minus five, starting out with minus one is with every step, with every time I went to the optometrist and got stronger glasses in a year or so, the eye would have compensated for that. And my vision has gotten worse by about the amount that my glasses have gotten stronger. That's fascinating. So, you have a resource now, nmyopia.org, and that's a, I guess, a platform where people could access courses to like teach themselves how to improve this process. Yeah. So, so th these two pieces, right? Like the the ciliary spasm and the lens-induced myopia is science. What I'm advocating, what I'm saying, that you can reverse all this stuff. It's it's well reasonable to be skeptical. Like unlike all the other stuff that we just talked about, my approach to reversing this is, is a controversy still, right? Like even though I've been doing it for 20 years and even though there's tens of thousands of people that have participated, it's not accepted as the thing that works. Um, by and large, and my intention with Enmiopia is for you to be able to do this for free. While occasionally we have courses that we sell to support amyopia, you don't need to spend any money. Like everything you need to know is on the site. We have a huge Facebook group and forum and YouTube channel. And we're building apps now that measures your eyesight and you can do all this stuff from an app. The idea being basically, it's really simple. You reduce your glasses for close-up use. So you don't get that hyperopic to focus. Mm -hmm. You use that active focus to challenge your eyesight. And then as time goes on, you get slowly weaker and weaker distance glasses, like slowly oh. over time. I'm saying like every three to four months or so, most people in general are, are ready for a small reduction. 
right? And you do what you did. You, you spend enough time outside focusing on distance thing. And every three to four months, you notice that your vision improves to a degree that you can again reduce your correction until eventually you end up at 2020, which your earlier question, I didn't know when I started this 20 years ago. So it was a giant guess, right? I found that the eyeball elongates and I found studies that show that the eyeball also shortens and it's based on the lens use. So my theory was if I wear weaker lenses, my eyes will improve, which was accurate, but also the devil being in the details. It kind of yeah. took a long time to, to tweak it to the point where it's really usable. Yeah, I remember I got glasses a few years back and um, I, I remember being amazed when I put them on because like I saw things that I hadn't seen before. My wife didn't like it because I see like wrinkles on her face. <laughs> but um, but there was a sharpness like I'd sit on my back porch and I have 100 foot trees that are about 100 feet away from the porch. And all of a sudden I could see the outline of the leaves at the top of the trees. I was blown away. But then when I took if I wore them for more than like even five or 10 minutes, when I took them off, my eyesight was terrible the rest of the day. Like I felt once I put them on, I was relying on them for the rest of the day and I didn't want to have to wear them all day. So it was a pretty short lived experience. I, I just felt like this is not the right thing. I'd rather have less than perfect vision than have this degree of variability where once I put them on for a minute, I'm committed. Otherwise I can't see anything the rest of the day. Yeah. And you know what makes it even worse is if you use those same glasses correcting for distance vision and look at a phone screen, like that's when you really get in trouble because that experience you had with your vision is worth just using them for distance for close up. I mean, it's that light further behind the retina. You're really straining your eye. You take those off after you're wearing your distance glasses, watching four hours Netflix on your iPad. Your eyesight is really terrible after that. Are screens really like the worst thing for our eyes? The worst thing. The is worst it, thing. Is it because of the light or that fixed distance where it's not natural for us to look at something at a fixed distance for extended periods like that? Or is it, it's, I guess, both? It's the distance. There's a lot of talk about the light and it, and it bugs me sometimes because it's like, okay, the light's not great, but it's just like Coca-Cola is not great. And then they say Coke zero, right? Like we removed the problem. Like it's, the light spectrum isn't fantastic, but the problem is you're holding these at, at half of arm length distance for extended periods of time. And your muscle is really tight at that point, right? Like the closer you hold something, the tighter the muscle gets. And the smaller the screen is, the closer you need to hold it to get that sense of immersion. So like an iPad, you can hold it a greater distance and still feel like you're immersed in the content. Phone screen, you automatically hold closer. And the closer you get, the tighter that muscle is. And the more often you do that, the more often you reintroduce that level of tightness, the quicker that muscle spasms. So it's phone screens are just the worst, worst thing. So if you have, I mean, a lot of us have to use, you know, screen-based technology to be productive these days. So if you're trying to at least lessen the evil there, you're better off at least using a computer screen as opposed to like, like a desktop would be better than a laptop or clearly a, or a phone just because you could have it farther. In fact, the, I guess the bigger the screen you have, 
the farther you could be from it. Or Absolutely. is that like a little intervention that we could kind of tweak our life, our lifestyle where over time that would make a difference just because, you know, every couple inches really matters or is yeah, there not absolutely. a big difference between like a desktop and a laptop, you know, being two feet away as opposed to one feet, foot away? One feet, two feet is already better than the, the, the phone is the worst thing. Gotcha. Like this distance is really tight. You're straining. It gets into a bigger topic that I try not to get into the screen addiction thing. Me personally, I try to replace as much of the phone time with larger screens. So whenever I can, I don't use the phone. Like I even sometimes wear one of those Apple watch things. So I get notifications on a device that doesn't tempt me to go scrolling through stuff. Right. I just go, Oh, this person, I've got to contact them back with the phone. Once the notifications in there, I'm falling into the rabbit hole of the phone. So I try to, I try to move a lot of activities into one spot in time where I'm at least in front of a laptop. Right. Gotcha. I'm at least trying to avoid that grab the phone while you're on the bus, grab the phone while you're in the restaurant, grab the phone while you're in the bathroom, all those bits, because every time you do that, muscle spasm, muscle spasm, the less of that that you do and you kind of, and that's the whole, the bigger picture of enmiopia is habit adjustments. Eye exercises don't work. Like all that Bates method stuff that is being pushed around on the internet doesn't work because it doesn't address habits. Right. So it, it becomes one of those things where you're like, you measure how far you can see clearly. And at the end of the day that you played with your phone, that distance shrunk a bunch, you go, okay, tomorrow I'm going to use my phone less. And then you notice that that distance stays better at the end of the day. And then you're tempted to go, okay, I'm going to try to mitigate my phone habit a little bit. Right. You mentioned Bates method. I've heard that referenced. What What's wrong with that method? Is, is that something about, isn't that a similar thing where you just kind of, give your eyes rest and then exercise them and kind of go back and forth. Not to push back here, but I don't know much about it, but I've thought there's been some success with people trying that stuff. Totally fine. So Dr. William Bates was an optometrist a hundred years ago who had the absolutely correct idea who said, Hey, I think this is a strain thing. Right. And he developed a series of exercises to counter that strain thing is that was a hundred years ago where we knew pretty little about biology. Most of the population didn't wear multi-adopted glasses. We didn't have screens and most kids didn't spend hours and hours a day studying, right? So a hundred years ago, it was a strain symptom. And a hundred years ago, nobody was in this close-up all day long. So the idea of exercises to, to just actively relax your eyes was the first step in the right direction. Like if, if optometry would have followed the ideas of William Bates today, we wouldn't have a myopic world. Like it is, the guy was a pioneer. Unfortunately, the establishment didn't love his ideas, kicked him out and he kind of became an outsider. And somehow because nothing replaced or improved on those ideas, they live on today on the internet as eye exercises that are initially helpful because reducing strain will improve your eyesight, but they don't address five doctors of myopia and all day screen use. And gotcha. then the problem becomes people make an initial improvement, they get excited, the improvement stops, they get frustrated, and then they go, okay, I can't improve my vision. And my frustration is in Bates method leads you down a path of temporary improvement and then whoops, that's it. And then people give up. 
right? So that's my, that's why I get frustrated because I don't want you to go down a path that, that doesn't lead you ultimately to success. So while I love, William Bates was a brilliant man. I don't like that Bates method is still being thrown around today when we, we know better than we did a hundred years ago. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, you mentioned to come back to the idea of the connection between eyes and movement. What were you alluding to with that? Um, more with glasses and contact lenses, but very interestingly. So if you wear glasses, you're, you're, you can only see perfectly clearly through the center of the lens and you don't really have peripheral vision. Like there's a line around the center of your vision. So what happens, for example, is if you walk and you have minus five adopter glasses on, you have to look at the ground in front of you because you can't use your peripheral vision to make out what's going on in front of you. So a person with, with stronger-ish glasses has a different gait, right? They're walking through life differently than you who can look ahead and your peripheral vision covers most of what you need to walk on a sidewalk, right? Mm. Myopic person doesn't have that. Like they're looking down their neck movement, right? The way they move, the way their shoulders are, everything is affected by the lens wear. Also, myopia is this ongoing struggle of ver worsening, sorry, my English isn't native vision. So you notice even more than just people in general, people with glasses tend to be hunchier with screens, right? Your vision's never right. Like you, you're always in this flux of your eyesight getting worse. So this forward movement with computer use is pretty pronounced with, with lens wearers. Social interactions, right? Like you and I are talking, we don't wear glasses. We use our eyes in subtle ways differently than somebody who's forced to look through a fixed point of a lens, right? So we have more eye movement where they have more neck movement trying to maintain that, right? What they're gotcha. looking at in front of them. And it goes on and on and on. Like for example, I kite surf, I love kite surfing. I thought for the longest time that I didn't have the fine motor control and, and physical ability to do that. But that was because I was wearing glasses, right? And I was afraid of things like sports because I didn't have peripheral vision. So if a ball comes flying in my direction, it's coming somewhere from the side. I'm not going to see it. It's going to hit me in the face. And now I become scared of balls, right? Like football, soccer, whatever the thing is. And as a, as a kid, that made me different in, my, in a lot of the movement, right? Because it's kind of a fear-based interaction with the environment that lacks peripheral vision. And that you can go deep into the rabbit hole of what happens to a person who's forced to look at the world through two more or less fixed points in front of them. You know, I, I could speak to that a little bit. I remember one of the things that drove me uh, crazy when I was wearing glasses is this, the difference between what I saw through the glass and then the peripheral from around the view of the glasses. So it would show up like I'd go to open a car door and like I'd miss the handle, like my hand eye coordinated because it was I, I had to look straight at it to get my hand to go to it. And I remember thinking this, this is not good, like that's not a positive thing. And, you know, I come uh, my background is in the movement world and I've spent well over a decade, basically retraining people how to move they, the way they originally learned how to move to kind of reset the software. 
And one, it's always about setting up an environment because we were confined to a certain environment. Like we have space and we have gravity and we have three planes. And based on the parameters of like the, our, our biology, like our anatomical structure, like the fact that we, we have two legs and a body and two arms and a neck and a head, like we've developed to move through the environment through patterns. And a big part of my job has been finding the right environment to get somebody to respond to it in a way that aligns with what our current understanding is about what it kind of should be, like what the basic design and efficient function is. And a huge component of that is controlling the head. Like if you watch a baby develop, the first big thing they really work on is controlling their head in this space, in this environment, you know, with these parameters that it has, the space and the planes and the gravitational force. And what I've noticed is when people can't control their head, it's like the top of the nervous system, like all the things below aren't organized as well, like they don't work as well. And there's this direct connection of eyes and controlling that head. And I'll try to get people to incorporate eye movements with their head movements. And it's amazing the struggle that the average person has doing that. Like, like, and there's no way that's normal. There's no way that when they were five, that they could move their eyes around. But as adults, like this thing that's so basic to our function, we're so far removed from the environments that it developed that we lose that function and it becomes very apparent to the observer. And, you know, it's interesting. I uh, got through a book recently called The Accessing the Healing Powers of the Vagus Nerve by... um, Mm, forgot his name, apologize. But this uh, doctor basically uses eye exercises to kind of reset the nervous system to some extent. And in this process, I'm learning like there is a, a direct line of communication between our eyes and our brain and thus everything that the brain controls. And I've noticed something subtle like when I was doing the exercise, this is before I read the book, when I was doing the stuff in the woods where I would like, you know, look far, basically that's what I was doing, trying to look far. I mean, can't really get any simpler. Um, Like it was calming. Like there was something that took place neurologically from that process. That wasn't the reason I was doing it, but because I was doing it every day, I started to notice like, it, it was calming. Like there's a connection there somehow of how our eyes behave or, you know, the activity that they're involved in, whether it's, um, you know, conscious, like active or probably passive that affects our nervous system, thus all the other functions in our body. It, I don't know, that may be a little off topic, but um you know, we have these like cranial nerves and these, these are like old systems that are developed in our biology that are, you know, 
basically pulling in information from our environment through our senses to kind of tell our brain what's going on around us so it could respond. Yeah, it's a connected system, right? Like it's this, I've had, I've had, I talk to people like keto podcast people who are like saying, okay, this has nothing to do with us. Sorry, that's not our topic. And I'm like, connected. All of these things are connected together. You can't ignore any part of it. Right? Exactly what you're saying. Like, and for example, if you wear glasses and you take them off, but just, just move them a little bit further in front of your eyes so you can see the image on the lens, it's curved and it's small and it's distorted, right? Like the further you move it, the more clear it is. And of course, that's, a, that's part of the optics. But what you're putting in front of your face, that lens is not, the people with glasses do not see the same world that you and I see. Right? It's smaller, it's distorted, it's not correct, right? Like it's the whole thing is just a lot of times and I'm really like, I picked the worst topic ever by just getting entangled in eyesight because people don't care, right? Like you talk about, you talk about diet and exercise and muscles and weight loss and all this stuff. People are fascinated by eyesight. They're like, I already fixed it. 30 seconds in the morning, I'm putting contact lenses, it's done. Right. But, and I keep saying, no, like you're, you're ignoring a huge part of your experience of your environment, all the things you're saying, right? Like once you put those things on, you're limiting all of the rest of your experience, especially movement. Like I think really movement is massively affected by sticking those things in front of your head. Is there any difference you think between the contact lenses and glasses in regards to myopia or the risks involved or the ability to kind of build it back for sure i mean with contact lenses you get better optical quality you don't have this weight in the front of your face you have you get a lot more peripheral vision optically speaking a contact lens is a much better choice to correct myopia than glasses just the, the optical quality is is hugely better the problem is it's still a deal with the devil because they rely on the fluid in front of your eye to, to float on top of your eye. When you look at something up close, your blink rate is reduced by a factor of five. So you're blinking a lot, lot less. There's a lot less tear fluid being delivered. So the contact lens is now taking up some of the oxygen that should be getting to your eye. They also- Wait, wait say that, can you back up? So when you wear contact lenses, it reduces the amount of times you blink? No, when you look at something up close, like when you're looking okay. at a screen, you stop blinking or you blink a lot less often than you would in a natural environment. So a, a sustained focus at a close-up object like a screen reduces your blink rate significantly, hmm. right? Like you blink five times less basically staring at your screen than you would just normally in an environment. And blinking is what delivers tear fluid to your eye, right? So- and what's in that tear fluid that is important? It keeps it just other than, the, I guess, it's, moisture. It's, it's the lipid. It's called the lipid layer. And there's a ton of stuff in it. Um, largely, it protects your cornea from getting invaded by stuff. There's a lot of that. And also oxygen delivery and just a ton of functions that are really important to protecting your cornea and your eye when you put that contact lens in is the contact lens takes up some of that lipid layer space, right? So you, you have less tear fluid to work with to begin with displaced by the contact lens. And then when you're 
your blink rate is reduced, right? Because you're staring at a close-up object, less tear fluid is being delivered. So now the, the contact lens tends to stick closer to the cornea instead of just floating on that tear fluid like it should. A lot of people oh. have that problem. I'm and suddenly that, like really aware every time I blink. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. And then also if you go to Google Scholar and you type in corneal thinning, so the cornea in the front of your eye, uh -huh. um, it thins from prolonged contact lens use. I mean, over years and years, not immediately, gotcha. but the thinning doesn't reverse, or at least there's no evidence for it to reverse. Scarring can also occur. So the wearing of the contact lens is a little bit of a deal with the devil because if you're doing it for sports, if you're doing it for outdoors, you're doing it for distance, you're doing it with a purpose, they're fine. But if you're doing it to sit in front of the computer for eight hours a day, they're not a great use case. Like for that, it's better to wear glasses than to put all that extra burden on the tear fluid and your cornea. Is there any evidence or do you have any information on the methods you use to help um, reverse myopia in its relation to other common eye dysfunction, disease processes, whatever, whether it be cataract or what is it, uh, macular degeneration or whatever the other common problems people run into? So I'm not a doctor and I am extremely careful. And maybe we should have mentioned this at some point. Myopia. <laughs> Jake is, is not, not a doctor, people. Jake is not record. a doctor, people. Yes, Jake knows nothing. And also myopia is not technically an illness or even really a medical condition. It's a muscle strain. And it's your healthy eyeball changing his axial length, right? Like there's nothing really wrong with you. Glasses in lots of countries aren't prescriptions. In even more countries, reading glasses, which do the same thing, but just for, for the opposite, for close-up, aren't prescriptions. In general, these things weren't prescriptions till lens manufacturers spent millions of dollars lobbying for laws to make them prescriptions because wholesale, they cost 2 to $5 to the optometrist. And the industry wanted to prevent anybody from just selling glasses. Like you can buy reading glasses for 10 bucks, right? No right. different. They're just plus lenses in front instead of minus lenses. And the optometrist sells glasses for $100, right? They're the same $2 glasses. So making those things prescriptions is protecting a profit margin, right? Like the whole topic of it's a genetic defect and a, an illness and a prescription, all this stuff is... It's covering for, it's a symptom treatment for a non-medical problem, really, right? Even though people will argue that with me. And the only thing that we're doing is saying less strain and reduce your dependence on those diopters. Exactly your experience. Like don't wear glasses that are so strong that when you take them off, you can't see anything. Reduce, just use as many diopters as you actually need. That's all I advocate. So when, when it comes to you know, glaucoma and macular degeneration, actual medical conditions, I always say, go see a doctor, right? Because I don't want to get mixed up in giving medical advice in this arena of topics where myopia is such a big one that we don't need a doctor for, right? You just need less doctors. So the short answer is I know nothing about macular gotcha. degeneration. But are, so is myopia the like most common reason that people wear glasses yes it is absolutely yeah by far by far yeah 
when you get older, 40s, 50s, there's something called presbyopia. That lens we were talking about that shapes for close up, it gets harder, just an age thing. And so as it gets harder, it doesn't shape itself as well anymore. So you lose some of the close up focus, right? Because the, the muscle is trying to shape the lens, the lens is harder, harder to shape, you lose some of the close up yeah. vision. Technically, I say most people shouldn't really need reading glasses, but once you start wearing them, the lens isn't challenged anymore. And that hardness seems to increase even more. So then people become dependent on reading glasses, basically. But that's a different issue. Gotcha. When you see older people with glasses, that might be reading glasses or a combination of both myopia and presbyopia. Jake, you mentioned earlier that people could see a difference just after like a certain meal. What's What do you think is the the mechanism of action there? Is it just like if you eat inflammatory foods, your, your like general level of inflammation are up? So, so nothing works as well. And that's just one of the systems that are going to be affected. Or is there, a, is there a specific thing that takes place or pathway that gets um, affected that changes how well we see from a meal or maybe a habit of a certain way of eating? So the best I could find, and I didn't research this to a degree of somebody who's into food, is insulin spikes. Anytime people that are sensitive to it, their vision is affected by insulin spikes. You're, you drink a bottle of Coke and you're sensitive to that. Your insulin spikes at the same time, your vision gets worse. Hmm. And once the insulin spikes over, your vision improves again. Diabetics generally also have myopia. So that, that appears to be the connection I don't go further than that because it's not quite my area. And my peripheral advice is ideally you have a diet that is supporting your body in a healthy way. So you don't have huge insulin spikes. So you shouldn't be affected by that. We had uh, Casey means on not long ago from levels health. They make a continuous glucose monitor that, um, and it was kind of eye opening when she talked about, I think seven of the 10 leading causes of death all have an insulin resistance component. Like they all kind of begin on some level with some insulin resistance. And if, you know, you have elevated blood sugars floating, floating around when you're not getting nutrients into the cell, cause you know, the insulin that you're generating is not kind of effective. You're not able to do its job that, you know, anything could go wrong, essentially, anything and everything is likely to go wrong eventually. Yeah. And that's that. basically my point on the eyesight gotcha. topic, because like, right, I can't be an expert on anything on everything, on right. anything also. But that's kind of the, it's a good idea to address diet, right? Like, right. vitamins and diet are not going to fix minus five adoptive of myopia. But it'll improve things in general to not have that kind of thing going on. Right. So what's your routine you've been at this for 20 years, you say, like, have you kind of settled into a daily routine other than just managing your habits of like the type of screen use you use in the time that you spend on them? I've become what happens with a lot of people is you get sensitive to screen use. Like I can physically not look at a screen for five hours straight. I just can't. I have a limit of about three hours. After about three hours, my eyes feel uncomfortable. And then 
when that happens, I usually get an hour of break. And unfortunately, my life is flexible enough to where I can do that. So I have a routine where I'll drive to a coffee shop in the morning that's far from my house so that I get distance vision time in and mm. then I arrive at a coffee shop and then I spend two or three hours working. And then it's around the time it's time for food. So I drive motorbikes or bicycles to a, a restaurant or a place to eat that is far enough from the coffee shop that I get distance vision time again. And I've got all these little tricks in there to get me outside in my path through the day. And then little things like tweaking the phone use, because when I started this, phones weren't a big deal. And I got pulled into the phone addiction and it took me a while. My vision got worse. Like I got, I had a definite case of phone issues. And then eventually I started going, okay, how do I address that new environment? Um, and it's an ongoing thing because I travel a lot or used to anyway. And <laughs> My environment changes a lot. Also, one of the things I always tell people is try to build hobbies that encourage distance vision. Because when somebody's trying to improve the eyesight, if you live in Hong Kong and you're a student and you don't have any distance vision hobbies, it's really hard to improve your eyesight compared to a guy who lives in you know, rural Scotland and is a surfer and has a hobby that gets him outside. So over the years, like I learned paragliding and kite surfing and jujitsu and all kinds of things that, that get me into an environment where I use my eyes actively as much as possible. Like a long-term, that's really the number one thing is like, if you have a, a sort of addictive hobby that you love a lot that, that requires distance vision, it's really easy to get good eyesight. For To meet um, people where they are, if you know, they're not ready to take up kite surfing or something. It's just going for a walk outside in nature. Do you think enough for to, sure. if you're doing that regularly? For sure. You don't have to go extreme. Um, and I didn't start extreme, but it became like a side hobby of finding what else would be entertaining enough for me not to go on Netflix, right? Like, yeah. what would I like to do? Like, I went through a period, like I'd, I bought an old Vespa and I spent time restoring it. That's not really distance vision, but you're all you're varying your focal planes a lot, right. right? Like you're looking at a lot of different things, just things that get you away from passively consuming content. And then, right, like I didn't start with kitesurfing. That was that's a few years ago, but just slowly building your life around enjoying seeing the world around you as opposed to the world on a screen. But I guess. The key there is to get outside, to get outside of a building, it sounds yeah, like, and ideally, to be in some sense of nature where things are naturally going to be farther. Yeah, um, as much as possible. Yeah. Hmm. Weird, so right? I, I have to bring this up if you're comfortable mentioning it. So you're, uh, you're on the other side of the planet than me right now. Um, and before we hit record, you mentioned you're kind of stuck where you are. Are you comfortable sharing with the audience a little bit about where I'm you are? Guess, and I'm guessing so. I, I always question what I'm what is going to get me in trouble with these oh. things. Um, but I'm sure it's fine. I just try not to get into the politics of the world. Um, yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm in Thailand because the borders are closed everywhere and travel is extremely difficult and limited and uh, I have family in Myanmar two kids and those borders were very closed and I try to stay as close as possible 
to that country. So whenever the chance came around, I wouldn't be far away to get there. How far and, are you? Uh, I'm a little ignorant of that uh, section of the world. From there, it's an hour flight. Okay, so not from far. Bangkok to Yangon is about an hour flight. Would be an hour flight. Um, very closed. Like Asian countries are just just closed. Right? There is Early. no going anywhere. And so I try to stay close. And now there. Last week there was a military coup. They decided they now took over the government. They're going to shut down the internet for two weeks. No kidding. Um, massive. Yeah, and that's really concerning because there's massive protests right now. So they just said, we're going to turn off the internet. So they don't want the rest of the world to be able to see the protests. What they're going to do, what they're going to do about the protests is my guess, right? Like, cause they're not, not happy with this. And yeah, it's a rough, it's a rough situation. Like as people complain a lot, what's going on in the world right now, but we enjoy some freedoms in various Western countries that here people certainly don't. Right? Like, yeah. I just flew for the first time this past weekend yeah. in like a year it was wild it was <laughs> packed flight too i was surprised both ways every seat filled and uh it was interesting it was eerie i was excited to get away i went somewhere warm i lit right now it's snowing right now if i look out my window and uh we went to florida and it was like hot and that was nice for a few days but it's just strange like being at the airport, being on a plane. and But yeah, you're right. Like uh, things are different in different places. And we, we surely take for granted um, some luxuries and some freedoms that others don't have. That is really scary to think about what you mentioned. So I, um, I really wish I'm that... Not there. In a way, I'm glad I'm not there right now because it's, it is a different world, right? Like I've lived there and I have a completely off-grid house there. Um, just everything is off grid and it's a fascinating, beautiful country and amazing people. And they've really been struggling with their government for a long time. And they started experiencing some democracy over the last, I want to say seven, like 10 years or so. And now that door looks like it's closed again. Mm. And it's, it's really dramatic because I mean, there's tanks in the city Whew. and uh, can't the roads even are blocked. And yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really intense. That's gotta be surreal. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that that's part of your experience of life right now. Hopefully a lot of good things come out of it somehow and um, really wish the best for you and your family with that. If, if folks want to um, learn more, you have nmyopia.org. Is that generally the, the best way to access more of your offerings? If somebody wants to take a deeper dive and kind of, uh, impart a, a journey of their own fixing yep. or reversing of uh, eyesight issues or myopia specifically? Yes, myopia.org. Um, the, the expectation should be like, start out with measuring your eyesight. That's really the first exciting thing to play with. And then if you're curious about this, expect it to be like taking a class. Like not, I'm not selling anything, but just as far as you're going to have to learn a little bit about the biology and the optics and how stimulus works and habits and what is stress and how can you improve these things. People oftentimes say to me when they first come to this, hey, this is just overwhelming. And it is a little bit of a project. It, it really is because I've tried to narrow it down. But the problem then is 
it sets an expectation that this is super simple and it doesn't get people kind of engaged in researching this. So it's a great destination, but expect the first time to you visit to find a lot of stuff there. Like I've written gotcha. like 1200 articles in there and the Facebook group has like almost 20,000 members and we have a big forum. Um, well, anything at- worth really doing is going to take some work. So, yeah. I mean, here we're about helping people play a bigger role in their own, you know, health. So it's super empowering. It is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it gives you change, control. Yeah. It changes your life to not go like we, we have accepted this significant limitation in a way that we're like, ah, it's fine. It's no big deal, but you can't see that is a big deal and reclaiming your ability to see and getting away from this notion that you're somehow genetically defective really affects people, right? Like I've had endless amounts of stories of people going, what else, right? Like what yeah, else yeah. can I do? If I can it's do really this. Power. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I recommend Yeah. That's a good point. Like what it can do once you've just improved something with your body, the confidence you get to start asking questions of what's next or what else is possible. You know, it's, um, that's a really good point. And, you know, right now it is a good time because there's so much stuff moving online and it kind of sucks because yeah, you have more screen time, but the courses that are out there, like we're really spoiled with the content and the courses, it used to be like, if you wanted to learn things, you had to go where the books were. So you had to like go to a college because they had all the books or you had to go to a library because that's where the information was. And now we could access things so easily. And you have people that have taken, you know, such deep dives for such a long time and then create these courses where, you know, we're kind of spoiled to be able to take advantage of all their hard work, like all your hard work so that you could package it for us. I recently just finished up uh, like a breathwork instructor course that was run by someone that was on this uh, podcast before, Michael, uh, I don't want to butcher his name, Biker, I think. And um, I mean, it was great. It was a great way to like uh, um, deepen my own practice. But yeah, it was like a 45, 50 minute, twice a day commitment for like a month. And that's pretty sizable, way more so than the average probably online course, because you have to sit and actually practice breath, which just takes time. You know, it takes 30, 40 minutes to do. But um, it's so awesome. I mean, I don't have to go anywhere. I have it. And, you know, that's something where it's, a, you know, you don't have, you're not glued to the screen, you're learning and then you go practice. So you're not stuck on a computer or on your phone, you know, but um, it's just so great to be able to make dramatic improvements on our own journeys, really from wherever we are. So I thank you for producing content. I have to be honest with the office. I, audience, I have not gone through any of your courses yet. So I look forward to, to trying some and I will, uh, we will post in the show notes, you know, ways to links for people to get to your stuff. That's if awesome. when you, I do have a question, when you say, you know, get a baseline, like measure, are you, what's the method there? You say, take a tape measure. Are you just putting like a book at a certain distance and say, can I read like, cause isn't there a variability in the size of the the text or do you need some, cause you have to create some structure to make that um, like constant so that it's repeatable and you could measure progress. Yeah. So technically 
it works with anything. I like to say book because book is printed text. You don't have the the backlighting and screen glare and all the things that are different about various screens. Book pretty constant, right? Font size. Technically, your vision gets blurry no matter what at the same distance. It's more easily recognized at different font sizes. Normal books, most like 12 points or so that the font is, is fine. You don't okay. need big text because then it's a little bit harder to tell when it's blurry. And if it's really small, it's maybe harder also. So like a normal printed book text, the lighting has a huge impact. So if you use shaded, natural outdoor daylight or sit next to a window, you're going to get different results than the lighting we have here. And then just a measuring tape, the side of your eye socket. And you start with the book close to where it's clear, clear, clear. And then you slowly move it away until there is the tiniest bit of blur, like any kind of change. People often overestimate and they just move it to where they have noticeable blur. Your myopia actually starts where the text stops to be clear, right? Mm -hmm. Like it gets a little gray or a little fuzzy or something's not perfect about it. That is the distance. Now, what about uh, like one eye and the other eye? Do these have to be treated independently or? Both eyes together in generally work best unless you've been wearing glasses where the difference between the left and right eye has been dramatically changed. That's another rabbit hole. Gotcha. You can also measure both eyes separately. If you get serious about this, it's a good idea to do just to see how the left and right eye are different and how they're changing. Very generally speaking, both eyes together give you the best results. Um, and for a starting point, that's fine. We're also working on app. There's an, there's an iPhone app right now that measures, does the same thing. And it uses the front facing camera. It finds your eyes and it tells you how far the screen is from your eyes, hmm. the exact distance. And it can be in centimeters, in inches, in diopters even. And you can record and save those measurements. Only works till about four diopters, um, four and a half diopters or so as far as closeness limitation of the hardware so it's not perfect and it's still a fairly new app but we're working you, on this so you don't need to buy a measuring tape necessarily. do you know the name of that app the name of the app it's our app it's currently terribly named called meowjuring <laughs> m-e-o-w measure but like meow because apple declined our first attempt at this because they say we're it's a medical topic so Can you make, finish spelling that? I'm sorry. M-E-O-W and then S-U-R-E, like measure, but okay. measure. But <laughs> in the next few weeks, this is going to be moved to an app called Enmiopia. Because okay. we finally got approval from Apple. So all of our tools are going to be in one app and it's just called Enmiopia. Well, maybe by the time right. this airs, that'll be out and we'll link maybe, to that too. Maybe. Um, that's interesting. But, so... And Measuring do you recommend tables. doing this test like to get your baseline in the artificial light that you're kind of used to or doing this outside and then just being consistent, doing it the same place every time? I would do it in as many different environments as possible. Okay. Because the thing that gets you realizing how variable your eyesight is, is going, try it in this room, right? Try it in the evening, try it after three hours of Netflix, try it after a big meal, try it in the morning and just see, because those numbers start telling you where you're good and where you're not good. Gotcha. Right? Like if you went for a hike and you come home and it was a great time and you measure your eyesight and it's like 80 centimeters, 
right? And then you had a big Netflix binge or went out drinking and then it's 55. You go, whoops, because now all of a sudden you have hard data going, my set has been significantly affected by this environment or habit. Gotcha. So I love measuring just because it starts telling you a story of, of how your life is affecting your eyes. I, one more question for you, Jake. Um, I know people have different opinions of sunlight and this is probably off topic a little bit, but in your you know 20 year journey, just learning about eye stuff in general, do you have an opinion of whether it's useful or good for us to allow sunlight to hit our eyes directly? I know there's people out there that are very kind of anti sunglasses is it one of those things where you should let the sun hit it as much as you can without being too much, where it eventually becomes harmful or any opinion on that? My opinion, and this is not as elaborate as my myopia opinion, is I wear sunglasses if I would otherwise be squinting. Like if it's so bright that I'm having to squint at the world, I put on sunglasses. Otherwise, I personally am a fan of UV light. Um, completely unrelated but it seems like if i don't consume sugars i don't get sunburns like there seems to be a lot of connections of stuff i have and a theory my, for that you said if you yeah. don't control consume sugars yeah if i don't eat any sugar for a while i don't get sunburns really weird so i don't think that's as weird so um but really like because i burn easily and i'm talking kite surfing like right you're out there midday vietnam just like it's like serious sun and the difference between in a half an hour i am burnt badly to not getting a sunburn is is kind of amazing so i have something to share that i think will speak directly to that uh might allow for some insight so i went to uh, la I kind of tagged along with my wife. She was there for a conference for the week. And I just saw it as an opportunity to, you know, we're already paying for the hotel. I'll go get a little vacation, get some sun. So I went there with a goal to like get a tan. I was poolside in this nice hotel, like all week, three or four hours a day in the sun. And at the same time, I was trying to, I was playing with some different um, interventions to try to heal from something I was dealing with. And and at that week, I was taking high dose vitamin C, which I know is kind of controversial in itself, but for some people it could be very useful for certain things. So, and I mean like high dose, 10 to 20 grams a day. And, um, and I couldn't get any tan. It was weird. And I realized like I had so much vitamin C floating around donate as an antioxidant there to donate an electron that the millisecond probably that a free radical was caused by the oxidative stress of the sun, there was an electron to like patch it up. Essentially, I could not get a 10 and I'm talking three or four hours a day, direct California sunlight for like four or five days straight. And when you say you don't eat sugar, so vitamin C and, and, sugar compete for the same for uptake at the same receptor so if your sugar level is down vitamin c is very good at getting to where it needs to be hmm. but if your sugar intake is up then 
it's going to compete at the receptor for vitamin C and you're kind of not getting the, the vitamin C on some level. Like you're not getting that benefit. Just a, just a theory that came up to me because I know that vitamin C and it's, it's probably, I don't know if there's a good strategy or it probably comes at some cost. So I wouldn't, I'm not saying, you know, go high dose vitamin C, but I know that it worked better than any sunscreen that I've ever, like, I don't use sunscreen. And that vitamin C was the most effective sunscreen I've ever had too effective that it was like frustrating. It so, was very yeah, interesting. So, so with that, that's, that's why I'm like, okay, so that gets into so many things that I don't have a discrete understanding of in any detail that would make me want to share an opinion. I just, the, the UV light seems to be vilified in yeah, current for times sure. more than makes sense. And we already, if you're in a car, like if you're behind glass, UV doesn't penetrate anyway. So you're not getting that much UV. Most people don't. Right. But I don't know. Like my, really, it doesn't go just, through like a windshield of a car. No, to a large extent, it does not. Huh. I don't quote that. me, but I believe that's <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, anything else you'd like to share with the audience tips or things, uh, on the horizon that you're getting into or any advice? Um, only maybe that if you, if you haven't thought about it, this could be a great entry point for a new adventure. Oh. Because once you start messing with your eyesight in a positive way, you're gonna address some of your screen habits a little bit. You're gonna start finding reasons to spend more time outside or with family or doing other things that engages your eyesight that might have positive unexpected consequences so i recommend at least like taking a little bit of time to learn about it even though i'm biased <laughs> no that's great it's uh it's interesting you make a good point you know you wonder what else is going to be uncovered along the way just from those habit changes and how you know things how ways your life might improve that you're not even considering yeah. at the moment so i really appreciate you taking the time and thank you for reaching out to us i think it's uh a great fit for our audience and for the audience out there. I want to thank you again for tuning in and listening. Uh, we will post all the links that Jake mentioned on the show notes. And if you have any questions, please send them our way and I'll do my best to answer them. And if I can't, I'll see if Jake can chime in and answer any questions you guys have. I want to uh, thanks every, everybody again for listening and check back soon for more episodes. Have a great day. Well, I hope the listeners out there enjoy this conversation. I surely did. Jake seems to be a super passionate guy and seems to have a great heart and is just really doing good work. And I think the, the world is a, a better place because of his efforts. So I'm grateful that he's been on the journey, journey that he has and that he's giving his gift away and teaching us um, what he's learned. So I'm really stoked about trying some of the things that he's mentioned. And once I do that, I will report back to the audience what it's done for me. If you have any experience yourself in uh, these types of habits and you feel like it's been beneficial to you, please share it with the community. And if you have any questions about this episode in particular, please uh, put that in the comments and I'll do my best to answer. And if I can't, I'll reach out to Jake and see if he could help us out. So thanks again for listening. And again, if you haven't given us a review on your podcast player yet, please do. I would greatly appreciate it. I hope everybody out there has a great day.